This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Welcome to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ann Greenhall, and I am here today. The band is back with Mike Useem and Jeff Klein. Mike and Jeff, how are you today? <laughs> Doing great. I'll answer for both of us. <laughs> Jeff, we want to at least hear a little something. How are you, Jeff? Uh, you know, if Mike says I'm doing great, I'm doing great. All right. Very good. Well, we are here on Leadership in Action, and we're here on Zoom. And just so our listeners know, new episodes of our show premiere every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern here on Business Radio Sirius XM Channel 132. Well, Mike and Jeff, we have, you know that I am the one who likes uh like some of the more, um, let's say, unusual topics on leadership in action. We think of Mike as our CEO whisperer. So we always have pleasure to talk with CEOs we might not otherwise have the chance to speak with. I think the last guest that Patty uh, set, uh, gave, you know, gave to me was a wine expert. <laughs> but today I am really thrilled to say that we're going to be talking about sports. We're going to be talking about playing. We're going to be talking about coaching and talking about leading. And I'm really delighted to introduce Matt Darity. And Matt's book is called Rebound from Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned. Matt, welcome to Leadership in Action. It is a true honor to be on this show with you all, especially with Mike. I just, uh, I'm really thrilled to be reunited with him after 18 years, uh, 18 years ago, taking his class uh, at the Wharton Business School and now being reunited with him. So thank you very much for this opportunity. All right, man. I hope we didn't do too much damage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, let me just say a little bit about you. You played and coached basketball at the University of North Carolina, and you started on the 1982 national championship team with NBA greats, Michael Jordan and James Worthy. And that program was led by legendary coach Dean Smith. After one year as head coach at Notre Dame, you took over the UNC program and led them to the 2001 regular season ACC championship while being named AP National Coach of the Year. All right, how about, Matt, I'm going to start with just a really fundamental question here, and I'll be sure to bring in uh, Jeff and Mike along the way. But, you know, we have many sports legends, many sports greats but not all have written books. So can you just speak a little bit about what inspired you to write your book? Well, you know, it, it, it really starts with the fact that you ended my bio with 2001 National Coach of the Year, and then there's a drop-off. And, and, and when I talk to um, give corporate talks, I put up a chart that makes it look like a stock market. And I show, uh, uh, you know, a blank chart, but it goes up, 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 and then it drops. And I'd say, what does that look like? And they'd say, well, the stock market crash. I'm like, close. 
And then I put up the next graph and put the dates and my name, Matt Doherty's career. And that was my career. It goes up, 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 assistant coach at Kansas, head coach at Notre Dame, head coach at North Carolina, national coach of the year. And then two years later, I'm forced to resign in a very public manner that questioned my leadership. And so that is the pain part. And then when I took classes, like I did under Mike Usim at Wharton, just a week long class. And I learned these things like, you know, managing change and, and emotional intelligence. I was just blown away that these topics weren't taught in formal education. They're the most important topics in, in, in the world, yet, they're not formally taught um, in high school or college. You really have to seek it out. And, and so I went on that leadership journey and uh, it became my passion. And that's the title, Rebounding from a Fall to you know the Pain to Become My Passion and the Leadership Lessons Learned. Um, and when I talk at business you know, for corporations, they'd say, do you have a book? And I, I never had a book and that inspired me to write the book as I got into becoming an executive coach, um, you know, to, to teach people to avoid the landmines I stepped on. So Matt, maybe one follow-up from me and then I'll hand off to Mike. Did your view of leadership change? Was there a before and after? And if so, would you say what your original thoughts were and what they became? Yes, my original thoughts were, um, you know, I would lay out the plan and they would follow it. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you know what, that's what I did. Like, that's the way I was. I, I trusted my coaches so much and I believed in them. And, you know, I didn't need a lot of coaxing. Uh, and I had good coaches and, and from Bob McKillop in high school to Dick Zeitler to Dean Smith. You know, and I thought that we talk in basketball that there's the science of coaching and the art of coaching. The science <laughs> of coaching is the X's and the O's, the strategy. If you want to you know, carry over to business, the flow charts, the, the procedures, the systems, the operating system. But the art of coaching, the emotional intelligence part is more important than the X's and the O's. Because if the players don't believe or feel good about your leadership and feel an emotional connection to you, they're not going to go out and execute to the best of their abilities. Mm -hmm. So that occurred after I lost my job and I took Mike's class and learned from Fran Johnson about, I have the book here, Primal Leadership, The Art of Emotional Intelligence by Dan Goldman. That book probably impacted my life in that class more than anything ever. Uh, and in that book, I believe it was in that book where it said leadership is a learned behavior because at that point, I question my leadership if I could become a good leader. And when I read that, it was the most exciting thing I ever read in my life because it gave me hope that I could get better. Because at that point, 
I was of the school, you're either born leader or you're not. Oh, Matt, thank you so much. What a great, great response. And Mike, let me bring you into the conversation. Uh, well, and thank you. And Matt, a big thank you for your willingness to join this program. Uh, it's been a couple of years since we spent a week together in the classroom. It seems like yesterday, and it's really great to see you again. And your story is, is remarkable. Uh, the book tells it extremely well, Rebound from Pain to Passion. And there's a statement. I'm going to make the statement and ask you a couple of questions about it. One of the great marks of any great leadership is the ability to come back from setback. And life is just filled with setbacks by definition, especially if you're a little bit on the edge, taking chances, innovating, going to a new team. So with that said, um, walk us through, if you wouldn't mind, that process of recovering from that setback we've already alluded to when you lost your job. What went into it? What were some of the steps that were critical for the comeback? And we'd also like to hear about some of the people along the way that helped you get back on your feet. And I, I ask these questions because my personal guess is many of our listeners uh, have been through a setback, especially in the last 12 months or before that, or they will. And I think your own story is going to really help them be ready for that coming back from a setback. So Matt, over to you. Thank you, uh, Mike. I appreciate that. Um, the process is hard. I think as, especially as a male, uh, especially as an athlete, uh, we are wired to not show weakness and uh, try to put on a mask of uh, toughness. Mm. And, and I try to fake it for a while that uh, I was fine. And, you know, this happens in business and, and I remember Fran Johnson, you know, she became my executive coach. I'd meet with Fran once a month. And she said, you don't understand. You trusted these men when you were 17, 18 years old. And it's not like a CEO who takes a job at 35 and didn't know the board of directors. Um, you know, so I felt that betrayal. Uh, it cut deep. And I think that uh, meeting with Fran was a, a very helpful. I, 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 I not, you know, it's been 18 years and um, writing that book, my intention was to help others learn from the, my lessons and my mistakes. But what it really helped me was it was therapeutic because um, I now got to put my story in writing. I got to put it out there. I didn't put everything out there. I didn't want to make it a, a tell-all. I wanted to really make it a positive spin on my mistakes and how people can learn from my mistakes. And people heard my story and reached out, strangers that have been through similar things that say, hey, thank you. I didn't, I, I thought I was the only one. And you hear that so often. I thought I was the only one. No, misery does like company. And, and we like to realize, you know, we need to be able to talk about it because anger turned inward leads to depression. And I did deal mm. with depression and I still deal with some depression. I have triggers all the time. And there was a big trigger yesterday. It was Roy Williams resigning as the head basketball coach at University of North Carolina. So all of a sudden, all these things go through my mind. 
You know, he took over for me. What if I stayed at Notre Dame? What if I made better decisions? You know, that would be me in the Hall of Fame. They would name me, my, my name on the court. You know, he's getting ready to retire. I could have retired. You know, all these emotions that are just bad. And I talk about it in the book, the bridge over the bitter river, because we, we, we have these triggers that if we allow them to, they will drive us off the bridge into the bitter river. And our goal is to try to get over this river by staying on the bridge, but it's a windy bridge. There's no guardrails, there's a hefty toll, and there's a lot of bad weather. And so to stay on that bridge is hard, but that's where you need friends, you need help. And one of the biggest things, you know, someone like a friend Johnston, um, my family, uh, counselors, uh, Bob McKillop, the coach at Davidson, my, my faith. I think that it drove me closer to my higher power, which is God. I'm, I'm a Christian. You know, and, and God doesn't promise us a smooth path. I mean, in fact, he promises us a hard path. Um, and that's a test. And, and it brings us closer to him. And then you say, why me, right? Why me? Well, there's people worse off than me. But I won't know that. That's called faith. I won't know that till I'm in heaven. And I'll get to ask. And Mother Teresa would say, she has a great quote. She said, God trusts us gives us, um, won't give us more than we can handle. And she says, I just wish he wouldn't trust me so much. You know? <laughs> and, and so, okay, why? What, what am I, you know, what are my skills now? Well, my skills are to teach and to coach and it's not basketball now, it's, it's leadership. And that's become my passion. Um, so, Dad, how about, let me let me jump in here just a minute because you're on a roll and I want to make sure that we our listeners know who we're hearing. And that's you, Matt Darity, author of Rebound from Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned. And if I may, just let me get Jeff in here for a moment so we can get him in before the soft break. Jeff. Oh, sure. Thanks, Anne. Matt, we're really happy to have you here, here on the show. Um, and, and you just said you know, that that comment was your your passion is leadership right now. Um, I, I want to circle back to that uh, in one second, but before I do, I, I want to ask you about at least a, an early passion, if not a first passion. Um, tell us about basketball. Why yeah. do you like basketball? Yeah, um, basketball. Um, I grew up on Long Island. Um, my brother, my younger brother went to Wharton and, and that's how I got introduced to Wharton, John Doherty, who's now, um, uh, a, a senior VP, I believe at, at Goldman Sachs, private wealth manager. I had a great experience with, uh, Mike and, and some of the other great professors there. So that's why I sought out going to, uh, to, to Wharton for the, uh, executive class. I fell in love with basketball. My dad, I was blessed. We were blessed to have the parents we did on Long Island. Um, you know, he introduced us to different sports and uh, baseball was the first sport. And then basketball, he signed me up for camp in fourth grade. And I just love the fact that you could get better playing basketball by yourself. The other sports, you needed somebody else. 
folk, you know, the traditional sports, the, yep. you know, the football, baseball, hockey were the main sports. You needed to, lacrosse was big on Long Island too. You needed other people where basketball, you know, I didn't need other people to get better. So mm -hmm. if I wanted to be, and this is the impact of Bill Bradley and, and Ann and I were talking about Bill Bradley in sixth grade, you know, and the, the, the famous line of you, your life is impacted by the people you meet in the books you read. And in sixth grade, I read Bill Bradley's book, Life on the Run. And he said, if you're not working on your game and somebody else is, when you two meet, that person will have the advantage. Right then, I quit baseball. And my dad was a minor league pitcher, but he didn't care. He just wanted us to be doing something we were passionate about. Um, that didn't get us in jail. Uh, but uh, uh, and, and uh so I, I devoted all my time to basketball because I wanted to have that edge on my competition. And Matt, that edge leads you to go play at the University of North Carolina. That's right. And, and to play with the greatest basketball player the world has ever seen. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about that? What's it like to take the take the floor with Michael Jordan and the rest of the amazing. Yeah. I, I remember being, uh, you know, dreaming, right. You, you have a ball and a dream. And I think everybody, you know, entrepreneurs dream, you know, they dream about make, impacting the world, you know, developing a new product, you know, whether it be Steve jobs or, or Elon Musk or whoever it might be. Um, that's what you have as a basketball player. We're an entrepreneur. We're going to risk it. We're going to put it out there that, hey, I'm going to get a college scholarship. I'm going to play in the NBA. And you have your doubters. And I, I remember one player on a team, Rodney McRae, who played for Louisville, played in the NBA. We were on a summer team one time. He says, well, where are you thinking of going to school? And I said, North Carolina. And he said, do you think you could play there? <laughs> And uh, two years later, I was starting on a national championship team as a sophomore at North Carolina in the final four in New Orleans. And his school, Louisville, was there, too. <laughs> so in the book, I say, yes, Rodney, I could play at North Carolina. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you got to take on the doubters as an entrepreneur. You got to take on people question you and you're like, mm -hmm. hey, I'll show you. You know, you 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 want to listen to them. You like you use it as fuel, and um, but yet have good counsel. Like Bob McKillop was a great counsel for me, and I, you know, I said, hey, I'm thinking about going to North Carolina. That's where I really like to go. Could I play there? Do you think I could play there? And he's like, yeah, you could play there, and that's like, okay, that's all I need to hear, because I trusted him. I trusted his opinion, and then I could go for it, and then have tunnel vision. Yeah. Matt, I, I love that point because you both have the, the I mean, that, that story shows your competitive drive and your drive to get better and to challenge yourself. And you're able to couple that with support from experts right? and, and really go to the experts and say, all right, look, I think I can do it, but do you think I can do it? And it, it's really the combination of those two things, which, you know, lead to the, the career you had. Yeah. Yeah. Like no. to win a national championship. Yeah. And Dean Smith questioned me too in the home visit. 
he said, uh, because everyone's worrying about, will I play as a freshman? Will I play? Will I play? And, and so the topic of playing time came up and <clears throat> coach Smith said, uh, he always had this kind of whine and he's, he sat back very relaxed. He said, ah, by the time you, 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 you'll be lucky to play by the time you're a junior. And I remember leaning forward and I said to myself, I'll show you. And, and that was his way of doing, I think a couple of things. One, he wanted to show respect to the, the players that are already there because he didn't want to promise a new person, new player playing time over somebody who's already there. That, that would show being, you know, he wants to show loyalty to the upperclassmen. And also, also, I think he wants to challenge you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're afraid of that, then go to another school. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. back to you. Jeff, you brought up Michael Jordan and just let me make sure listeners know that Michael Jordan wrote the foreword in the book. But I was also taken by a quote that, of his that you include, Matt, and that is that talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championship. So I just like to hear a little bit about how you think about winning. Well, you talk about your favorite basketball team was the 69-72 uh, Knicks. Knicks. Talk about teamwork. Um, <clears throat> a friend of mine who's an NBA coach, ex-NBA coach, would say the best players don't always make up the best team, but the best team always wins. And <clears throat> we can control whether we're going to be the best team or not, because that's just attitude. That's just attitude. If the, if, if the six of us decided to be on the same team and Mike, Mike put us through these rope courses and these different <laughs> courses, all right, who's going to be the leader? All right. Now, can you be a leader and then the next minute be a follower? Do you have that skill set? And those are the things we learned in the park. My next book will be called The Park. The lessons learned from playing pickup basketball at Prospect Park, because I had to go, if I want to play with the older guys, <clears throat> I had to take instruction from them and they, they could yell at me. Hey, that's a bad shot. You take that shot again. You're never going to play with us again. Oh, good screen. Yeah. Just screen, just cut, cut, pass the ball. Well, then I'd go to court number two, where I was the older player. And then I'm telling those players what to do. So can you pivot? Can you, can you go from a follower to a leader? Because that's what happens in, in business. You have middle managers. They've got to be followers, and then they got to lead. Do they have that skill set? <clears throat> and I think in teams, we need to have that. So if we get thrust into a situation, we have to analyze it quickly. Who is the expert in this game? Like if we're going to run a marathon, I'm talking to you, Ann. <laughs> you know, I don't care to run the marathon, by the way, but I'm going to go to you. So, you know, I don't, you know, Mike's strengths, you know, uh, Jeff's strengths, Patty's strengths, we're going to gravitate. And then they can't be afraid to lead. And we can't be afraid to figure out what our roles are to help us be successful. That's all an attitude, uh, unselfishness. And all we care about is the team, as opposed to the one who always wants to be the star or doesn't like to be told what to do. 
those are energy suckers. We talk about energy givers and energy suckers. I don't want any, any, I don't want energy suckers on my team. Can you coach attitude? Whoa. That is hard. I think it's very hard. And I don't know if it's worth the effort mm. because that's the energy sucker that you're going to spend so much time trying to coach the attitude that'll suck the energy out of you. Um, it, there's got to be a tipping point. Like how much talent do they have? Mm-hmm. Like Joel Embiid in, in Philadelphia. Yeah. Super talent. Moody gets hurt a lot. You know, can he, can he grow out of that? You know, the, the, the human mind, especially a male, doesn't mature until it's like 26, 27. So do you give him a chance? Who's around him? You better do a deep dive. And I worked for the NBA for five years for the Pacers. So we were in that boat, you know. Okay, yeah, he's really talented. But I would say don't get intoxicated with someone's talent. Whoa, he can really jump. We can change him. We can fix that. Oh, really? (laughs) Good luck with that. Versus having five guys that play as one, and they'll beat that high-profile, talented guy who decides to show up every fifth game. That's where we have to fight human nature as, as a CEO of a company. We're talking with Matt Doherty about his book, Rebound, From Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned. Mike, let me bring you right into the conversation. All right. Well, thank you, Ann and uh, Matt. To just jump right back into the dialogue you were having with Jeff, I want to quote uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes from John Wooden, who is, of course, the long-term coach at UCLA. When asked which was his best team over the many, many years, I think he was coach for close to 30 years, which was his best team. And he always said it was the team that I coached when I got there that had a losing record. And that's what that's because everybody really um, they rose above themselves. Question for you as a coach, and this is a question very relevant to so many of our listeners. You got five, or let's make it fifteen, talented people, and how do you ensure when they get on the court, their talent is not just five individual players' talents, but a genuine team? So, what, what's the magic of making that happen? Yeah, no, that's the that's the secret sauce. Um, I think it starts in the recruiting process. Um, as I said earlier, Coach Smith said to me, um, you know, you'd be lucky to play by the time you're a junior, and you know, you got to. It, it's easy to hire, hard to fire, right? So mm-hmm. you've got to be slow to hire and quick to fire, and so. Do your intel, do your deep dive. Character wins championships, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and so you've got to find out, are these servant leaders, are they unselfish leaders? Are, are, they, are they willing to, um, a great book I'm, I've just finished reading is Shackleton's Way. Uh, it's about Ernest Shackleton and, and endurance, his expedition. And, you know, what he looked for in people. Are they willing to sweep the deck, you know, 
Um, and I don't care what job they have, how smart they are, what their degrees are, are they willing to carry the pail? Uh, and do they have optimism? Are they optimistic? And basically, I talked about earlier, are you uh, energy giver, or energy sucker? You know, to me, that's kind of, are you optimistic or negative? So I think, you know, that's got to start in the, in the procurement process of the talent the recruiting of the talent as you on, before you even onboard them, what are they, how are they wired? And then once they get on your team, you have to define roles. And coach Smith did that. He, he was a great salesman. You have to be a salesman. You have to sell to your team that, Hey, it's in your best interest. If you play this role, we win. And then we all win. I was a high school All-American, Mike, and Coach Smith tells me one day in practice, and he always whined, uh, hey, Matthew, you know, um, you could be the best screener in the country. Like, I'm saying, like, I know what he's doing, right? I know what he's doing. I'm like, and I jokingly say, like, that won't get me any dates, like, like I go up to a girl at a party and say, you know, I'm the best screener in the country. And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but by being the best screener in the country, I got a national championship ring and I played 39 out of the 40 minutes in the championship game. And the only other player to do that was Patrick Ewing. Mm. <laughs> oh, I got goosebumps. <laughs> because he sold me on that role and how valuable that role was to the team and that I could be really good at it and that he appreciated it and he truly did. So Matt, a quick follow-up on that. And let's go back to the slow to hire side of the equation for a minute. You're in a living room of a prospective recruit when you were, let's say at Notre Dame or at North Carolina and you are looking for the kind of performance you just described, team player, a person who can get out there and do it with the, the fivesome and not just uh, himself. What are the questions or what are the, what, what are the sources of evidence, including some of the questions you asked and the answers you got that would tell you this is indeed the kind of player you want on your team? Yeah, um, I think by that time you should know and that's through observance. Um, does he cheer for his teammates when he's on the bench? Hmm. Does he does he give up a chair? Does what's his body language is 50% of communication? <laughs> what's his body language like? What's his tone like? But the body language is critical when a coach is talking to him hmm. or a coach takes him out of a game for taking a bad shot. How does he react? Does he look at the coach and nod or does he, you know, sulk and throw a towel? Um, and then you've got to, you got to be a private detective. I, you know, I, I love to ask the janitor, tell me about, you know, Joe Smith, you know, what kind of kid is he? They'll generally tell you the truth, ask opposing coaches. Um, and, and then when you're in the home, the little things can show a lot like, how does he talk to his mother? <laughs> you know, um, 
when it's time to clean up, does he clean up or does he just sit there and get on his, you know, phone? Um, you know, and then challenge him like, hey, what if you didn't start as a freshman? Like Coach Smith did to me. Yeah, I think you got to ask the hard questions and be willing to walk away from a player. And, 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 and I've done that before when I saw a player dog it in a workout. It came last in sprints. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I can't offer you a scholarship. I'm sorry. Came all this way. But, you know, if you're going to come last in your sprints on your team, what kind of pride do you have in winning? Great, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Let me give the baton back to my colleagues here. All right. Well, how about I'm going to bring Jeff in here, but just let me say this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm Ann with Mike and Jeff, and we are speaking with Matt Doherty, author of Rebound from Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned. Jeff, why don't you chime in here? Matt, this last part of the conversation that you've been having with uh, Mike, it reminds me of uh, some work that we've been doing here at Wharton and our our colleagues in our people analytics group, um, which uh, with whom we've we've launched a, a little joint venture called the People Lab, which is a, a set of assessments. Um, and th those assessments measure lots of different kinds of things. Um, they measure teamwork, they measure emotional intelligence, they measure communication, um, they incorporate uh, some of the research that Adam Grant has done around generosity and some of Angela's, Angela Duckworth's research on grit. Um, and, and Angela and Adam, along with our, our partner, Cade Massey, who hosts another uh, wonderful radio show here on Channel 32, um, they've been working on a, a, a scale, and it's very preliminary, um, but they're trying to measure coachability, all right? And and so in thinking about coachability, um, they have thought about mindset as, as you've talked about, right? And we can, we can reference Carol Dweck's work there around a growth mindset and a belief in, in the ability to learn versus a, a fixed mindset. Um, and, and then they, they've looked at two other components. Um, and I, I'd love to just get a reaction from you and then also to ask what else we might be missing here. One part of coachability to them is, um, is an achievement orientation, right? So being as, as an individual, as a teammate, being really focused on achieving at the highest levels, both individually and as a team. And then they couple that with this concept of humility. Right. And humility, both in relation to self saying, I know I can learn more. There's more that I can do. There's more that I, um, you know, more ways that I can grow, as well as humility um, from the perspective of seeking feedback proactively. Oh, yeah. Right? Wow. And, and um, so I, I just wonder, as, as someone with, you know, decades of, of experience and expertise, in as a coach, how do you how do you think of a coachable player? 
um, what, what are the qualities that he or she might exhibit? I think um, the willing trust is a big part of that. You know, mm -hmm. do they trust you? Now that part, those, you know, that's half part coach, half part player. You know, if you have the competence and the resume and you exhibit the competence, then will they trust you, you know, explicitly? And, mm -hmm. and so that's critical. Um, the, the humility, when you started talking about humility, um, I, I wasn't, didn't know where you're going with that, but that, that, that is key. Like, I don't know everything. I need mm -hmm. to get better. How can you help me get better and give me honest feedback? Um, I kept thinking about Michael Jordan when you were saying that. I have an unbelievable picture that I'd love to share with you of Michael Jordan on his knees, on the sideline, checking into a game and coach Smith's talking to him. Coach Smith is squatted down and Michael is staring right through coach Smith, soaking up every word he had to say, you know, Michael was a lifelong learner. Yeah. He wanted to add something new to his game every summer. And he would go to people that would tell him the truth. And I talk about this in the book, the six no's of leadership, K-N-O-W-S. You got to know yourself. Be self-aware. Where are my blind spots? Where can I get better? And part of that is, who's your truth teller? Who's going to tell you the truth that you trust will give you honest feedback? And you've got to welcome that. That's the humility you're talking about to accept feedback. Every leader needs that. But a lot of leaders don't want it, or they say they want it, and they don't accept it, and they bully the staff and get defensive. They're insecure. So I think a security comes with that humility that's saying, hey, I can get better. Where can I get better? Because like you said, that ties into the achievement, because I want to achieve, and I want my team to achieve. And the only way to do that is to get better every day. And it's our job as coaches to say, hey, you need to work on your foul shot. And to get better on your foul shot, you got to stop floating at the foul line, watch the film. Now, are they going to trust that? And a lot of players say it doesn't feel good, doesn't feel right. Yeah, well, there's a reason why you're shooting 65% from the foul line. <laughs> now, and it's not going to feel right. And I go back to Tiger Woods in 1970, 1996, when he won the Masters and then changed his swing. Wow. Talk about humility, trust, because he wanted to achieve even at a higher level. Yeah, maybe that swing works at the Masters, but it might not work at Pebble Beach. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, oh, sorry, Jeff. I'm going to jump in just for a second just to tell everyone you're listening to Leadership in Action. And our guest today is Matt Darty author of Rebound, From Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned. Jeff, I'm so glad you brought up coaching because we've hit a number of big topics. We talked about leadership. We've talked about success. We've talked about failure and winning. And you brought up coaching. I might go down memory lane for just a moment. Uh, we have been doing this show for eight years. This is our eighth year. 
And in our second year, we had an opportunity to speak with Stu Jackson, who at that time was an NBA TV analyst and also the Big East Conference Senior Associate Commissioner. And he had a wonderful comment that still sticks with me. I want to run it by you, Matt, because it's on coaching and playing. He said that players see reactively, <laughs> but coaches need to see you know, pro, proactively to see the future, look forward. And I just you know, would love to hear your thoughts on differences between playing and coaching, because not all great players make the shift to great coach. Most great players are not great coaches. That's why I was a decent coach. <laughs> um, um, you know, I think great players get frustrated that the average player couldn't do or see the game the way they saw it. Um, Larry Bird coached for, I want to say, three years. And I worked for Larry with the Pacers. And I say, why'd you, why'd you quit? Because he had success. He was a good coach. He said, typical Larry Bird, he said, I didn't like it. I said, okay, <laughs> I could, you know, like, have a good day. You know, he's a man of few words. Um, Magic Johnson tried it, didn't like it. Um, you know, I couldn't see Michael Jordan coaching. Um, it, it's, 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 it's frustrating because you got to get down to the common denominator of player, which is not that elite mind. You know, I, I, I respect Stu Jackson. He's a good man and was a good coach and administrator. But, you know, the good players see ahead. I mean, they, they, they've got to see ahead. They've got to see a play ahead. You know, talking about Magic Johnson, you talk about, Mike, the anticipation of I'm seeing this pattern recognition, you know, that I see you cutting to the basket and I anticipate will you be in relation to your the person guarding you and the angle that I can deliver the ball at. So I've got to anticipate that. I got to anticipate what they're going to do as I come off a ball screen. As a coach, you know, your anticipation's a little bit more, you know, 30,000 square, 30,000 feet high, you know, the what ifs, you know, you got to have what if mentality and a what if coach on your staff, what if, our best player gets hurt? What if our best player gets in foul trouble? What if there's a supply chain problem where the price of steel goes through the roof? What are you doing? Are you buying steel on the spot market or do you have contracts or a balance of both? What if the Suez Canal gets jammed, yeah. jammed up by a ship the size of the Empire State Building? You know, and so that's what you have to do as a coach. And that's where Coach Smith was so good in preparing us for late game situations. If, if, if we're down one with one second to go, we knew what we wanted to do. And we were calm about it because we had practiced it. And he was calm. He would say things like he'd smile and he'd say, wouldn't it, we've practiced this. Wouldn't it be fun to execute this and get a win? You know, no one's expecting us to win this game. You know, those, those moments are powerful. The power of words, the power of body language, the power of preparation, and you may not use it, but it's nice to know you have it. That's why they have fire drills, right? <laughs> right. 
Matt, let me let me follow up. We're coming around the corner here, and I want to make sure to address, uh, bring up a topic that I know is important to you, and that's the subject of forgiveness. Yeah, um, you know, earlier when Mike asked about getting, how do you rebound, and and uh, it's hard. You know, it's a process. It's like somebody dying. You know, how do you overcome a death? How do you rebound? It's so emotional. It's emotionally scarring. I think talking about it. Um, seeking professional help. Nothing wrong with that. Um, taking the next step. Um, but the thing that helped me the most was forgiveness. And that's the hardest thing for me to do. It's all over the Bible. But as a competitor, you're wired to beat the opponent. And if they bait you, you're supposed to go back and try to beat them. So when you feel like somebody betrayed you, it was hard for me to forgive. But as I try to become a better Christian and read more and, you know, and you, 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 you realize that Jesus was on the cross and he forgave the people who crucified him. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. if he could... If he could forgive those people, I could forgive people that I think may have betrayed me. And I did. And that was a relief. And, 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 and the other thing is forgiving yourself. Because sometimes we're our worst, own worst enemy, where we beat ourselves up with negative talk that does nothing but send us to a dark place. And you know, you really almost say to yourself, who the heck do you think you are that you should be perfect? You're human. You're flawed. You're going to make mistakes because I get this all the time. Do you think you should have stayed at Notre Dame? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about it a couple of times in my life. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, I might still be there. And now maybe I'd be the guy following Roy Williams. Mm -hmm. That's a trigger. So how do I manage those triggers? forgiveness forgive myself for being human oh what a concept <laughs> right so i think that that forgiveness and the other thing is lastly is crucial conversations having conversations with people that you feel may have done you wrong <laughs> and letting them know how you feel not that you're going to get the answer you want or, or, or an apology, but just say, listen, I, I don't like the way this went down. I felt really betrayed and hurt. And now you're, you're handing that off to somebody else and lightening your load. And don't expect them to give you a response you want, but at least you shared that with them. And I did that with Roy Williams. Six years after I lost my job, I'm disappointed, waited so long. I should have done it with Coach Smith, but by that time his health wasn't great. And I walked out of there. I cried for about a minute. And I walked out of there with a, a, a load off my shoulders that I probably had the best night's sleep I had in a long time. Matt, that's really, really beautiful. And I think a wonderful moment for us just to do what we customarily do. And that is an after action review, a little reflection. 
And it is going to be short because we've just got about three minutes or so left, but I'm going to ask uh, Jeff, then Mike, and I may chime in a word or two, but then you to give just the high level takeaway that you would love for our listeners to have. So Jeff, why don't we start with you? We've had a great conversation. What stands out for you? You know, I, I think what, what I'll highlight in this moment, um, and, and I would love to see the picture, Matt, it's it's the image you conjured up of uh, a Michael Jordan just soaking up every bit of feedback he could uh, from from Dean Smith and, and how crucial that orientation is to uh, be being a lifelong learner. Yeah, that's great, Jeff, beautiful. All right, Mike. Okay, Jeff, that was so good. I've got the identical point in different words, but same name, same theme. And I've taken notes here from Matt's great commentary. We want a combination of humility and coachability. Humility means we, we don't know everything and we know it and we got to learn it. And coachability means we can sit and, and look into Dean Smith's eyes and say, Thank you for offering up what I should be doing. I'm going to get on the court and do it. And just to make that in one more um, stripe, brand new book about uh, Abraham Lincoln. It's a great book saying that Abraham Lincoln, one of America's, maybe America's best president ever, uh, was the, the art of humility and coachability, constantly looking to see what he could learn to be a better person as a lawyer and later on as president of the United States. And back to you. Very good. All right, Matt, just one sentence for you. What would you like our listeners to take away? Yeah, a friend of mine, Brian Moran, um, uh, told me recently, he said, vulnerability is the new invincibility. Hmm. And that I think it's okay to be vulnerable. It's it's really healthy to be vulnerable. Um, and and um, yeah, vulnerability is the new invincibility. Oh, that's beautiful. All right. And for our listeners, I hope you've heard and heard very clearly that leadership is made. It is both a science and an art. And the X's and O's will get you so far. But beyond that, it's emotional intelligence. I want to, uh, Matt, I want to thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you. How can uh, people find more about your book? Yeah, they can go to uh, Amazon or they can go to rebound-book.com. Um, that's the website for the book, rebound-book.com. Very good. Well, a special thanks to Matt Doherty. And I'd like to thank Patty Hall and our sound engineer, Chris Tooks. I'm Ann Greenhall. We're here with Jeff Klein and Mike Yuseem. You've been listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 